I want to say a, a huge word of thanks to those who, who set up this amazing altarscape here, and you all are invited at the, at the close of worship to come on up and, uh, and to see this wonderful display. As part of Discipleship Sunday, we thought it would be creative to have some of the Bibles up here that are part of our story as a congregation. And so some on either of the back corners are so old that they don't allow me to touch them, <clears throat> and that's okay. Um, on the far side over here, uh, on the lectern side, you'll see that there are small Bibles that we give families when a child is baptized. There's a first grade Bible. There's a third grade adventure Bible like all of our third graders have. That's what it looks like when you unwrap it here in just a little bit. Um, there's a confirmation Bible that we give our students. And then lying flat here is the Bible that, that we give our seniors when we send them out into their next chapter uh, as well. The, the upright piece on the easel belongs to the church. It is a page, a certified page from an original uh, book called the King James Bible. You ever heard of that one? Dating back to 1611. Larkin said it's not from his third grade Bible, but we beg to differ. We, we're we're kind of wondering, right? No, it is an original copy from, from the King James Bible. And there's something that, that to me is, is really fantastic about this large Bible that's, that's lying open here on the altar. It came from, from Bubba Armstrong. It is their family Bible. It dates back to the mid-19th century, but some of the family names date back to the 1830s. And one of the names that's recorded in there most presently is Harris's name. And Harris just received his third grade Bible on this Discipleship Sunday. How special is that? I've brought some of mine as well. I have the Bible that got me through seminary and the Bible that, uh, that I received when, when I made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. I have the Bible that belonged to my grandfather after whom our older daughter Caroline Henley Cooper Dunn was named. I have a Bible that doesn't have a cover on it. That's because I left it on top of my vehicle one time. And it went flying off into traffic. But somehow, they looked at the cover and saw my name. And, and they said, well, I found somebody's Bible. And somebody networked. And that person networked. And, and God's Word boomeranged back to me from somewhere in traffic in the city of Montgomery. I'm so happy that it's Discipleship Sunday. How many of you brought your favorite Bible? Yeah, several of you have your, your favorite Bible with you. We're going to be reading from Exodus 20. I want you to use uh, your favorite Bible or the Pew Bible or, or one that you look on with. I do have one that I carry with me every single day, everywhere I go. It's on my phone. <laughs> How many of you have a Bible on your phone too, right? My guess is that if you have been a student of the Bible from the time you're either three years old or third grade like these students, that one of the earliest stories you remember hearing is the Exodus story, right? Do you remember that? Moses, Pharaoh, bugs, you know, locusts and the Nile turning a different color and all of these plagues coming upon Israel. And the one thing that Moses kept hearing from Yahweh and Moses kept telling Pharaoh was what? Let my people go. Yeah. If you stay with the Bible long enough, one of the, the themes that you'll hear running throughout it is that God is always interested in that phrase, let my people go. Let my people go from whatever binds them, from, from whatever is, is knotting them up inside. 
from whatever systems of oppression or abuse are, are plaguing them in the community, and, and in our case, between Sabbath, between Sundays, whatever it is, let my people go. It's the Exodus story, and it's one that I would invite you to turn to now and listen for these words. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You must have no other gods before me. Do not make an idol for yourself, no form whatsoever of anything in the sky above or in the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow down to them or worship them because I, the Lord your God, am a passionate God. I punish children for their parents' sins, even to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but I am loyal and gracious to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Do not use the Lord your God's name as if it were of no significance. The Lord will not forgive anyone who uses his name that way. Remember the Sabbath day and treat it as holy. Six days you may work and do all of your tasks, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work on that day, not you, your sons, your daughters, your male or female servants, your animals, or the immigrant who is living with you, because the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them in six days, but he rested on the seventh day. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that your life may be long upon the fertile land the Lord your God is giving you. Do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not testify falsely against your neighbor. Do not desire and try to take your neighbor's house. Do not desire and try to take your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and the lightning, the sound of the horn, the mountain smoking, the people shook with fear and stood at a distance. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid because God has come only to test you and to make sure you are always in awe of God so that you do not sin. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's one of the earliest stories and earliest passages of Scripture that I can remember committing to memory. We even had to memorize it in, in seminary. Can you believe that? We memorized the Ten Commandments in seminary as adults. It, it must be that important, right? As we said last week, with the holiness code, there, there are parts of God's law and, and his words that, that shape us. They're like bumpers that keep us going in the right direction so that we'll hit our target if we'll just stay on track. The Ten Commandments are a lot like that for me. And as I mentioned earlier, what I hear in these commandments at the base of, of Mount uh, Sinai as, as Moses is bringing them down is I hear a theme that will emerge throughout, throughout the narrative of the Bible. Let my people go. God is a God who is interested in releasing whatever it is, whatever it is that holds us down. And that may be something 
different for each, each one of us here, but every one of us are bound, are oppressed. We feel the weight, the tension, the stress, the, you know, the fever from whatever it is in life that is keeping us from being in love with God and in love with, with one another. Now, I don't, I don't hear or read these Ten Commandments the same way now that I did when I received my, my third grade Bible like these students here. My, my seasons of life have changed. My experiences have changed in life. I'm, I'm just in a different place. But this, these commandments as a defining point in, in the story of, of God's people, of Israel, it's also a defining point in our lives. I grew up hearing them. And, you know, I could find ways to love God, pretty creative ways. I could certainly find ways to get out of work on the Sabbath. You know, that was a really good one for me. I, I was down with that one, right? I never really worried about, you know, killing or adultery. You know, I didn't even like girls, you know, way back then when I was little. I mean, all of these things, I mean, stealing, I didn't really steal, but if, you know, somebody left a $10 bill around, I mean, I was going to kind of take it. We were family, right? Maybe we're just honoring, dishonoring family. I don't know. These are part of our lives. You, you can do just a very simple Google search on the Ten Commandments, and you're going to have dozens of pages pop up, the Ten Commandments of marriage, the Ten Commandments of being an employer, the Ten Commandments of social media, the Ten Commandments of, of pumping gas, whatever it is, right? The Ten Commandments are part of our cultural story. They just are. But running throughout all of that, the way that God is trying to shape our lives in these the commandments, not these suggestions, but in these commandments, is so that we can hear very distinctly a voice that says, let my people go. Let's do an exercise. I want to give you a scenario, and you get to play the role of God by saying, let my people go. Everybody good? Everybody written? All right. When my family takes a road trip, and they're stuck with corny dad jokes. They hear God saying, let my people... Right, 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 right. When I preach too long, I hear God say, let my people go. Right, right, right. Some of y'all are saying that twice now. You can stop, you can stop, you can stop. Moses would be called by God to help lead the people out of oppression. And God's people went from something that was oppressive in Egypt to now something that was liberating in the promised land. They went from slavery to worship. What I want you to hear about these Ten Commandments and the ways that, that I think we're supposed to observe them and practice them is, is this. First of all, the first three focus on ways that we get to love God, right? Love God, make no graven images, and make no idols. And, and don't profane the name of God. The first three are ways that we stay in love with God. The latter six are ways that we stay in love with our neighbor. Now, we're going back to the old school and we're laying some foundational blocks that we need for our lives, especially parents and grandparents and students. As we're thinking about the very first block that we, we laid was the Shema. Listen and love God. Last week, be holy and love your neighbor. Now we're putting them together. You hear both of those in the Ten Commandments, ways to love God, ways to love neighbor, and right in the middle of both of those is a bridge. It's the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The Sabbath is a bridge 
between the ways that we're called to love God and to love our neighbors. So listen and love. Be holy and love your neighbor. Keep Sabbath by rest and by resisting. These are the Big Ten. And they hinge, the Big Ten, it's the law summed up in ten, they hinge on this this one that I didn't understand when I was, was their age. It hinges on Sabbath. It's like saying to love God in the best possible way and to love others in the most responsible way, you must take time to rest. Who likes to rest from their labors? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Love it. Thank you, third graders, for leading us. I love it. Yeah, We like to rest. Okay, you can wake up now. Yeah. This isn't in the sense of like blue laws per se, as if you remember placing those restrictions on society, but Sabbath instead, it's concerned with periodic, intentional, disciplined, regular disengagement from the systems of productivity in our world that are telling us do more, produce more, be more, 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 to which Yahweh God is saying, let my people go. You are enough just as you are. God could have, could have easily worked seven days a week. But if you'll recall, God said, nope, time out. I'm going to take a break. And he said, on this day, on the seventh day, we are to take a break too. Creation is to take a break as well. Sabbath first is about rest. And every single one of us in our society need to find ways, need permission sometimes to take a breather and to rest. But what I've learned over the course of my ministry, and and people like Walter Brueggemann have helped me with this, he has written a tremendous book that, that I've gone back through for the third or fourth time this week. It's called Sabbath as Resistance. Sabbath not only is resting, that is disengaging from from being workaholics, but Sabbath is also our mechanism, our way of resisting. And so by taking time to stop, by taking time to breathe, by taking time to rest, by taking time to, to disengage and to do nothing more than to exist as the son and daughter of God that we are, we're shaking our fist at every single Pharaoh and every single Egypt in this world saying, God says I'm enough despite what you say. God says I can take a break despite what you say. And I don't have to be more and more and more and feed this pyramid system because that is not who I was created to be. And every time you and I are daring enough to take a Sabbath break and to step back and to rest and to resist all of these temptations to do more and to be more, oh, we're entering into the land of milk and honey at that point. We're stepping away from from our Egypt. We're walking out on a bridge between what it means to love God and to love our neighbor. And it's when we enter that space between God and between neighbor by resting and by resisting that then and only then we're able to hear God's voice that says, let my people go. Your Sabbath and mine as a hinge point in these commandments, as the earliest discipline in the Jewish faith, as 
as a discipline that we've lost but need to reclaim and pour as one of the footings for this house that we're building together. It, it's like pressing the reset button in our minds and in our bodies and in our souls. Sabbath helps us resist anxiety. It helps us resist exclusivism. It helps us resist complacency. It helps us resist whatever that power structure is that says, do more. And when you finish with that, do more and more and more. And to be honest, it's not the pharaohs in our community that are going to recognize God's voice any more than Pharaoh recognized God's voice in Egypt. When God said, let my people go, Pharaoh couldn't hear it. He couldn't understand it. But for people of the covenant, as people as the covenant, we can hear it. We can hear God saying, let my people go. I believe that the end result of, of production is anxiety and some sort of covenantal infidelity. I believe the end result of restlessness so often ends in violence. So is it possible that the church can change the cycles of anxiety and violence and consumerism simply by reclaiming Sabbath? I believe so. I believe it's a start not to passively wait, not to passively resist, but to actively rest and to actively shake our fists at all the other gods in the land to say, I'm set apart. I'm chosen. I'm special. These third graders are going to learn over the course of their journey. You're called and set apart for something greater than yourself. That's what this church is about. You're called and you're set apart through the waters of this baptism. That's a powerful statement, students. We need, we need Sabbath to rest and to resist. And I'll confess to you as your, as your pastor that I haven't taken a Sabbath in far too long. Life's just been too busy. Anybody been there? Too busy to take a rest. And so this past Friday... Beginning this time last week, this past Friday, I started gearing, I started orienting my entire life towards something that would happen on Friday. Friday is typically uh, my Sabbath when I'm able to take one. I'm going to work harder at that. Friday is typically my Sabbath time to uncharge, to turn off my phone, to say, we've got a team and just allow other people, you know, Jay, let go. Okay, got it. So I was so excited this past week, I started gearing my entire week toward an event that happened Friday night. Who would have ever thought that Sabbath could involve lobsters? Did you see that? We partnered with Church of the Ascension, and they worked so hard throughout the week, and I pray that you'll tell our, our brothers and sisters at Ascension how much we appreciated that partnership. They gave me a bib with a big red lobster on it, and they gave me a tool that I thought was for pecans, but it wasn't. And they gave me some sort of pick, something or other, that looked dangerous, so somebody took it away and said I couldn't play with it. 
and, and we were throwing lemon juice and butter all over, and by we, I mean me. We, you know, it was just everywhere. It was on hands-on, tactile eating. And for just a moment, for that moment, where we were swaying to some jazz music and slinging some lemon juice and feasting on some lobsters, we didn't have a care in the world. We disengaged about all of our work, about what was coming up on the calendar, about financial worries, you know. We disengaged about anything that made us a little bit anxious. And for that moment, brothers and sisters came together and shared a meal. We shared Sabbath together. And what made it so beautiful for me, in addition to all of that, is that it helped me to love God and to love my neighbor all the more because the proceeds of that event went to two incredible ministries, one hosted by Church of the Ascension for people who are differently abled and the other for our own respite ministry. So for all of a sudden, Sabbath, plugging in together, helped us be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Oh, how I needed a Sabbath rest. Here's the thing. A modern exodus from our pharaohs and from our Egypts, it's not geographical. I'm not asking anybody to quit your job or quit your relationships or anything like that. The departure from Egypt, a modern-day version of, of exodus, it's emotional. Lobster eating, lobster fest. It was emotional for me to re-engage with Sabbath. Sabbath is also liturgical. It hinges on worship. Stepping away and having our lives ordered by something so much bigger than any one of us so that we can go out and change the world in such a greater way than any one of us. Sabbath as Brueggemann says, is a practical divestment so that neighborly engagement, not production or consumption, but neighborly engagement defines our lives. If you were to ask the person to your left or the person to your right to define who you are, how would they define you? My prayer is that it's through the, the vertical relationship with God and the horizontal relationship with neighbor Sabbath is the hinge point in all of that, and we need to reclaim it. Now more than ever, we need to begin orienting our lives around Sabbath time with God and with each other, and to reclaiming the truth that with Christ the yoke is easy and the burden is light, because what this world needs now more than anything is permission to sing and dance a new song, and Sabbath rest and Sabbath resistance helps us take that step. So, building block one, listen and love God. Building block two, be holy and love your neighbor. Building block three, keep Sabbath, rest and resist. And what you'll hear when you step out onto that bridge between God and people through your Sabbath You'll hear God saying, let my people go. And the Exodus story that we read in, in our Bibles, all of a sudden it comes to life. 
Because when I read about children living in cycles of poverty and going to bed hungry, if I'll step away and rest and resist, what I'll hear is God saying, Jay, let my people go. Or when I read about another, another shooting in our city, if I'll step away and rest and focus on God and on neighbor, what I'll hear God saying is, that's not somebody else's problem, Jay. That's on you. Let my people go. When I hear inappropriate comments about people of color, people in any station with any label this world provides or been pushed to the margins, if I'm willing to rest and resist and step back, I'll hear God saying, let my people go. The more I, 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 I work with, with families and counsel with, with families, one of the things that surfaces more than, than anything else is, is financial troubles, especially this time of year. It's back to school, and we like to get loans for various things, and we like to charge various things. And when, when we do that, gosh, we're trapped in a system where we just we feel like there's bricks, but there's no straw anymore. And if I'm willing to rest and, and to resist, I'll hear God say, let my people go. We are not, this world is not meant to live in Egypt. It's meant to enjoy the milk and honey from the promised land of God. So listen in love. Be holy and love. Keep Sabbath by resting and resisting. Amen.